I'm going to go ahead and uh, get started if that's cool with you, Zach. I'm ready. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I was telling myself when I was like writing my questions and thinking about what to talk about, I'm like, where do I even start? It's it's wild, um, but I'm sure we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe you could tell me how you want to start. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. This is my first podcast, um, and I've been told to remind your lovely audience that all opinions are mine and not the opinion of Indiana University or its administration. So now we can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out of the way. Wonderful and completely necessary. I get it. But uh, <laughs> and so so Indiana University, that's where you teach. Yes. Yes. I think I've been here since 2013 full time as a faculty member. And that's where you and I met even uh, before that while I was in grad school. I think it was in 2008. Um, it's an incredible environment of inspiration and education and camaraderie. I'm really thankful to be a part of it. I was too. Uh, it's so special thinking about the times at that school. You know, there's lots and lots of schools out there. And, you know, Purdue and IU both have their real campuses and not to say that IUPUI isn't a real campus, but there is something very special about that campus. I don't know what it was. Also the timing, like having you as a professor and, and the, the people that we were surrounded by, there's a particular energy that was really fantastic. And that propelled my entire career. So it's like unbelievable how grateful I am for that. Um, and it's funny, you know, just to fill people in, you were my professor when we had first met and then we became colleagues and we taught at the art Institute for a short period of time together. Yeah. And now we're just like best of friends. <laughs> it's wild how things go. Um, I was just thinking about IEPY and like its location, uh, for people that don't know it's in Indianapolis. And, um, unlike Josh, I come I come from a rural area, was once a rural area of Westfield, Indiana. Now it's more of a suburb. And uh, going into the city for college was like a, was a pretty big deal, challenging a lot of assumptions, uh, you know, how I was raised and the type of people I was around for my entire life going into the city kind of let me see a lot of uh, diverse perspectives pretty quickly. And I think that's kind of some of the magic that you, you talked about. There's something special about IEPY and I would have to agree. It started with years leading the rural area of Indiana and going into the big city or, you know, it seems like a big city. It's not so big. Yeah. It's, it's a reasonable size. It's not too big, not too small. It's yeah. kind of just right. That's what I feel about St. Pete as well. I've really fallen in love with that city and I, I can't wait to have you down here. I don't know if you've ever been to St. Pete, but it's magical. No, I haven't. I'd love to. Okay, yeah, it's it's really cool. We'll we'll have you down. We'll do an in person podcast next. Cool. I can't believe this is your first podcast ever. I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. What? One hundred percent. People tell me I'm scary. I don't know. That's hard to believe because you're so well connected and you're you're so deep into the community. But what I realize is, you know, not a lot of people. Even though podcasts, there's millions at this point. Not a lot of people are doing it. You know, it's still right, a kind right. of an emerging tech yeah yeah i agree i mean my long drive my drive each way from westfield to indianapolis is 40 to 50 minutes so 
I, I try to listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts, but right now I'm on audiobooks and finance. Yeah. Well, now you will have a new podcast yes. that you can subscribe to. And <laughs> <laughs> that'll be about one way for you for our episodes. We're trying to keep them at an hour, but they always go over. So maybe your cool. commute there and then halfway home. But uh, I'll try not to listen to my my episode too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so good. You're going to not be able to. But it's always weird hearing your voice back. You know? Yeah. People are like, your voice is fine. I'm like, I sound so weird. I hate my voice. I want that on the record. But somebody called it <laughs> sultry the other day. So I'll, I'll take it. You do have a reputation. Or dulcet. It was dulcet, which I had to look up. <laughs> I, what does dulcet mean? Just uh, deep and soothing. Oh, I agree. I agree. Okay. There's something to it. It's it's very unique. I mean, everybody's voice is unique, but I, yeah, we're always hardest on ourselves, sure. you know, in art and creation indeed. and indeed. who we are. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I know, you know, from everything that I've heard and, um, and what I experienced is that you're you're teaching, you know, you were direct, you're more you're more down to earth and and more real as far as coddling, maybe is the word. And uh, maybe we can get into that because I want to talk about first how you even how did you become a teacher? Why did you become a teacher? Oh, cool. Cool question. Um, first with the the why and then maybe the truth, the why to the being tr a truth teller, maybe. Um, my early, one of my earliest memories with my dad, we were at the uh, kitchen table and he was looking through a newspaper and found like the top five or top five least stressful jobs. Um, and professor was like the second. So, which is kind of funny because I would say it's pretty stressful to <laughs> uh, nowadays. I was about to say, uh, but you do kind of make your own hours and, and you only answer to yourself and your students in many ways. Um, but I was maybe 11 or 12 and I didn't really give the article much, uh, weight until I heard my, I was playing college baseball and I had some stress fractures in my spine. So I had to kind of like rethink my entire trajectory of my young career or my, my, my goals, perhaps instead of playing baseball, I had to stop that. And I ended up going to IPUI as a I don't know, a bandage semester to figure out who I w wanted to be um, and found computer graphics technology, which is a Purdue program, the program I taught you in, in 2004. And long story short, by the end of that, um, I didn't feel like my portfolio for animation was up to snuff. A faculty member had just left the program and... I, I have no idea what came over me, but I pitched to the, the director and Dr. Banatine, Mark Banatine, who's like a second dad uh, mentor to me. I said, hey, I'll stick around if you guys will pay for grad school. I need some more time for my portfolio. I can teach these classes that this other professor uh, had left behind. And they jumped on it like it was the best offer they'd ever heard. So uh, maybe they knew something I didn't, but um, the next semester I had you in class. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I mean, how cool, how cool is that? I mean, you, I went to a, a SIGGRAPH call out, which is special interest group on graphics. It's the world's largest computer graphics organization. And they have chapters uh, throughout the world for, for different schools and cities. And you were doing a call out meeting just to get 
interest. Yeah. And uh, you were leading that. And that literally changed my life. I'm I, sorry. It was a pivotal moment. <laughs> I apologize thoroughly. Um, For the better, I should clarify. Yeah. Yeah, SIGGRAPH, um, and in general, I think conferences for any young person and um, what we call in the business co-curricular communities, things to do around college outside of class and finding your people is probably the most important part of college. And SIGGRAPH was that for me as a, as a graduate student um, teaching, teaching you and, and many of our colleagues, now colleagues and friends, um, hopefully continues to be that at IPY and other uh, campuses. Yeah, I really, it really taught me what a community could be on a small campus and how easily that community transcends kind of like state, national, and international barriers. Because shortly after that, we went to conferences and met people from all over the world that we call friends now. Yeah. It's truly magical it sounds cliche but it is absolutely something special if and i know that people from SIGGRAPH or know about it will you know be listening to this and will completely agree i mean it's a life-changing experience and and you had mentioned that you know outside of classes and honestly with classes being part of the running it, I, I I think SIGGRAPH changed my life more than the classes that I was taking. It was it was more important. I was involved in the community. I was learning a lot more outside of class. I was pushed to a new limit because we were kind of at a hyper level rather than just doing our studies. We were at this next level. We were going to the conferences, volunteering at the conferences, meeting people from all over the world. It's... There's so much to that. Like anybody who's listening who's going to go to college or in school doing those kind of things. What do you call them? Co-curricular? Co-curricular, yeah. Outside of class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's absolutely where it's at. Yeah. You think about what young people need nowadays. And even when, when you and I were in school, the classes are very much technically oriented and, you know, maybe a little bit of design theory, but very much like how to take your ideas and execute them with software. But a co-curricular experience or a student group like SIGGRAPH is the socialization, the making meaning of what it means to be a part of a community and identify purpose and see other students um, and young people, peers, finding their own purpose. That's what college, that's how college was sold to me. Um, by my parents is like th- you go to college to figure out who you want to be. But when I arrived, sorry, IU, Purdue, when I arrived at school, it was just like, here's how you click on buttons and learn to design software. So I was really happy to find SIGGRAPH as a student and uh, shortly after that become the president, if you will, or like the advisor, grad student advisor. It definitely changed my life too. And it- I think probably still remains kind of like my core mission as an educator is to to make sure student groups like SIGGRAPH and communities on campus exist, especially for a commuter campus like IUPUI where students think they should just show up for class and then leave. Um, you know, they need to be staying, um, socializing, finding their meaning, and uh you know, maybe not working as much, which is harder and harder, I think, 
especially after COVID. Yeah, um, that that community aspect is enormous, and it's it's admirable that you know because it go the same with teachers. It could go the same way where there are some instructors who go down and they do their job and then they peace rather than being involved and really doing the important work which is building that community and supporting that community and that community therefore supports itself outside of class because it's not easy you know there's deadlines or hard topics or programs that you don't understand or what do I do next and at least then you have this community that you can lean on you guys see each other every you know other day or every week and you get together you you build up this rapport which you can have each other each other's back yeah yeah I um I'm actually hopefully some of our students hear this that you know student groups since COVID since we've returned back to campus have struggled and it's, I think it's harder than uh, for faculty members like myself, more maybe more than ever to say, hey, you guys need to value this, this potential that's not yet there because you're a part of the potential of what a student community can be. Um, and kind of as a bandage, I've, I've just been taking all my independent study and capstone students, which meet outside of classes with me, typically one-on-one, and I've smashed them all into the same room once a week just to kind of get that that uh, culture of critique, that culture of give and take, and like a safe space to say, you know, your ideas are are not working, which is what SIGGRAPH used to be and what you just described. Um, I think I think that isolation of COVID has really became the, a normalized experience for a lot of young people. It's probably the thing that scares me most about colleges right now. It's just students don't know how how college could be different than what they experienced in high school. Um, you know, some of the students that we have right now had their last two or three years of high school from home. Yeah. You know, so they don't it's know any, any better. It's pretty scary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had mentioned, though, that it takes the students becoming involved to also build that community. So it takes that effort. It's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. You get involved and you make, you set out to make a community. You get, you put yourself out there and you attract more people who are doing that. And the more people that say, hey, there's this thing, there's SIGGRAPH, you know, popping off and they're meeting, then it, 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 it attracts more people. So it's like if, but you have to go and do that. So it's getting people to you have to take a chance. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's what I felt when, when at that first call out meeting, you were like, by the way, we need officers to help run the organization. And me, like in my first semester of college, I was like, well, I don't know anything. And you were and, and you had mentioned like, it doesn't matter you know, if you just want to help out, that's that's what matters. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just like volunteer and see if they want to accept me. And then like, I swear, a semester later, I missed my first meeting. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to miss a meeting, uh, officer meeting. They're going to be so mad. I came back to the next meeting and they y'all had had appointed me president. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> sucker uh, that happens throughout life make sure you show up to your meetings or you're going to be at the top uh, responsibility position that happens everywhere yeah <laughs> in my limited experience i haven't went too far away from iu 
uh, even since school. <laughs> it is. Um, I was just thinking about that. You know, you went there for, you know, your undergrad and, yeah. and you, you stuck there. There's absolutely something very special in your in your experience and in your mind that you value at that space. You know, you haven't left. Yeah, I would say it's it's maybe it's part special, but also part luck and timing and and networking. Um, I very much intended on, and I did train to to go to the West Coast and work for visual effects companies or computer graphics companies. And I I graduated in two thousand eight, so like the timing couldn't have been worse as far as the amount of opportunities for an Indiana kid to get out of Indiana. Um, and through happenstance and um, a, a SIGGRAPH conference, I met a gentleman named Eric Kurt, who was the director at our institute. And we, we hit it off, and he invited me to apply to a new position at our institute of Indianapolis at the time. And that really saved me um, from leaving Indiana. It saved me from maybe taking a position that would have burnt me out. Um, and it kept me moving on all cylinders as far as what I was passionate for and, and growing a community of students, even though it wasn't at IU at the time. Um, and all of that was because of SIGGRAPH and meeting him at a conference, I think it was in New Orleans, in New Orleans, yeah, in 2000, 2009. 2009. So I did have some, yeah, I, I graduated in 2009, so I was off by a year. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, it's I've never entirely intended to stay at IU but when you're in Indiana and you want to be close to home and have be close to your support system um the, the college campus is the best place for somebody that wants to work in graphics and and uh, 3D you might say yeah absolutely yeah. I did I I'm you might have told me that before but I didn't know Eric Kurt was the one who invited you to teach at the Art Institute because he invited me yeah. to teach at the Art Institute and changed my trajectory. I mean, I ended up teaching for six years and changed my life. How I'm probably funny. the guy that gave him your name. So, I okay, mean, we have a lot, uh, a lot of uh, pain um, because of what Eric Eric has done and identified. But yeah, I was just texting <laughs> with him yesterday. We're going to try to get together soon. Oh, but, neat. I, I miss lot, him. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll definitely send him this episode. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I mean, it's that there's that's so funny. Wow. I uh, I figured, you know, we're we're like 20 minutes in or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And uh, I don't you know, I haven't even asked you what you teach, you know, what you specialize in. Can you oh, talk wow. a little bit about that? Well, I, I would think maybe five years ago, I would say I teach 3D classes, uh, parts of the production pipeline that deal with making films and video games um, on things that aren't real. So creatures and characters. Um, being kind of, uh, where I spend all my time and I have many classes, but each of those classes are different part of what we call the 3d pipeline. Um, five years ago though, I started teaching a class that we call in 420 multimedia project development. And it's probably become, um, my favorite and maybe I, I hope the school's favorite. I hope we replicate it in many other programs across campus in which, we have client collaborators from around the city and around the country. So what that means is uh, I spend a lot of time networking over the summer and winter months, finding nonprofits, startups, 
faculty that need research prototypes. And I educate those folks, those entities on our students' skill sets in digital media across not only 3D, but filmmaking, social media, marketing, strategy, uh, web development, um, game development, virtual reality, augmented reality. That's kind of my areas, VR and AR. And we we do do free free work for the most part, um, but the students get this this safer space to learn the lead generation and client securing, contracting and milestone process that any studio would utilize within the the for profit sector of digital media. So that I usually line up the teams in that class based upon what the client collaborators needs are. And then the students take over. And I just uh, say, this is a memo of understanding. This is a production agreement. This is how you kind of identify your main milestones to check in with the client collaborator or make sure you're on the right track. And at the end of the semester, we showcase publicly at the school's capstone event, all of these projects that we've done for the local and national communities. And then more, um, potential leads come and say, oh, that's a really cool project. We have something we want to work on, Zeb, with your class. And that's led to full-time jobs, um, scholarships. We probably have maybe 25% of our client collaborators uh, remunerating the students at the end of the class for the class's tuition. Um, And then, you know, I think we've had a couple startups and a lot of research uh, being published. Um, it's a really cool class, and I'm really, really blessed to be a part of it. Um, so outside of teaching 3D, I, I try to really utilize my network to get students, Indiana students, cool jobs before they graduate. Outside of teaching 3D, um, yeah, we do this community collaboration where our students are are um, as close as can be to contractors in digital media. Um, so they're, they're learning the client acquisition process and how to mature and manage expectations of the client. Um, they get themselves into trouble just like any of us would when the expectations and communications and timelines are missed and they have to recover. They do get 16 weeks, which is probably the least unrealistic, uh, part of the simulation, but, um, yeah, I'm there to kind of put out the fires. I try not to do it too quickly, though. That is such a brilliant program. Um, I mean, I honestly think that most classes should have that. That's the one thing that I think education is missing. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, you know, what your favorite part of teaching is, what your least favorite part of teaching is. But like for me, aside from the annoying administration of like, you know, that money is a foundation of these efforts and that can sometimes get in the way of the genuine education. The biggest thing for me in teaching is like this missed opportunity of bringing the real world into the classroom and actually exposing the students to what it's like when they walk out those doors. You know, that's the beauty of internships and things like that. Maybe you could speak about, you know, some of your, favorite parts of teaching and your least favorite parts of teaching. Yeah. I, I would say that, um, the trend in universities, um, is to try to bring more of the real world into the classroom. The unfortunate reality is most faculty, um, are comfortable with what they know and what they've been doing. 
Um, and it's a scary venture to say, hey, for-profit company, come partner with my class or or take a risk on these young people because it is a risk and the timelines are longer. So some universities, including IU, including Letty School of Informatics, where I work, um, are, are trying really hard to do that. Um, but sometimes faculty and students get in the way because they have a, a predetermined idea of what college should be or maybe, you know, what it already has been. And they just want to stay in that safe space. Um, to move to your question, probably my, my favorite thing about being a part of the college ecosystem as a faculty member is it's there's a low barrier to execute an idea past just the idea. And what I mean is, um, if you've got a cool idea, but you don't know, let's say, let's talk about, you don't know a lot about material science. Well, I can walk across a couple buildings, find an expert in material science, buy him or her lunch, and learn everything I don't know about material science, uh, or at least like um, get me to a good foundational understanding of the things I don't know pretty quickly. Not Maybe I have a little bit easier of a time doing that because I'm a faculty member, but I did that when I was a college student. And I think you read about a lot of people that treated college as an easy way to access expertise. I don't know if it's being done as much by young people anymore, but that's probably my favorite part about being on a college campus in the city. I can go talk at, um, to any expert in any of the 40 plus buildings on campus, but I could also email a, a CIO, CTO, a CEO within the city, walk a couple blocks and tell them about my students in, in the same day. And the, the access to knowledge experts and people that do their thing really well is so low, especially when you're a faculty member on a college campus. Like it just opens a lot of doors. And um, conversely, I think I've already said it a different way. Like probably the thing I don't like about being a part of this ecosystem is a lot of people have forgotten the potential of the space they're active in you know, whether a faculty member or a student, they've come to check in and check out. And it's, you know, it's not a personal dig at them at all. You know, everybody has many things going on in their lives, both on and off campus. Um, but I just wish more people knew that all they had to do is say hello. What a piece of advice right there. Thanks. I've always loved academia because I felt that too, where it's the place where there there are of course rules but no is not as much of a word that's thrown about it's like well research it that we we are encouraging new ideas especially when i hit my masters in in those teachings it was encouraged like no you must do something new for your thesis it can't be done and so you had to really think hard about what's something new for me it was doing a different kind of podcast format and and here i am now doing another podcast which i'm i'm super stoked about but it, it i love that energy of that it is a it, it is an entity that pushes people to think about new solutions you know you think of the sciences and and things like that i mean the university is where so many ideas are born. Yeah. And relationships um, between, dare I say, like-minded, passionate people. Um, it's so easy to kind of catch the bug and like 
and feed it to somebody else and stay too late and, you know, and lose time with family. Like, those are like the biggest regrets that I have. Like, I'm super successful in my relationships on campus, but I'm always like feeling guilty. And I think that's probably what dads do. Um, you know, it's just like, just feel guilty no matter where you're at. And that's part of the, the thing about being a parent, but, um, yeah, colleges and I, maybe it's just IEPY, but I have a feeling most colleges have people that get it and want to be surrounded by similar energy and optimism and, um, action. I think it's a big part of it, you know, if like people that just don't want to spout ideas, but like want to make the idea or at least a prototype, that's a big part of life's puzzle. I think a lot of people uh, forget nowadays is, you know, ideas are cool, but it's only like 2% of the entire life of an idea. Absolutely. I've been talking to my father a lot about that. He's like, I have so many ideas. I'm like, well, let's get working on them, you know, because <laughs> you could have a million fantastic ideas. And if you don't, if you don't make them, you know, that, and, and that's the beauty of, you know, the college setting is there's the excuse and the encouragement and mm-hmm. like the curriculum to move forward with those ideas in the community and those relationships, holding you accountable and encouraging you through that process. It's, I probably have said the word special like 10 times now in this, <laughs> but uh, you know, and it's appropriate for an interview with you, Zeb, but it, that it to me is one of the most special aspects is just this like wonderful culmination of that stuff. But you had mentioned um, you know, on campus and outside of campus, uh, you know, your work and your life. It's it's the same with business owners. Um, you know, I think like being an instructor, you're almost running your own business. You have your employees, which are your students, and you have a, a directive of like, we got to get all this done. It's it, there's there's similarities for sure. And one of the biggest similarities that people in positions of running businesses and organizations and instructors have is how in the heck do you balance that when especially when you're involved, you're not just going to check in and out. How do you balance the work and the life? Is that a question? If you want to answer it, <laughs> I'm afraid to answer uh, for for many constituents and family members that might be listening, and they probably already know that I don't have it figured out. But I would say I don't know if you ever figure it out. Life's always changing. Um, I thought I had it bad before I had kids, you know, as far as being a balanced person. But I I definitely feel like my kids have brought me back home more. Um, a lot more, probably the majority, and it's something my wife and I kind of take temperatures on uh, very frequently for both of us. You know, are we present with the kiddos, with the bo- the boys in our case, and each other, um, and then the work. And, you know, presence is really difficult. Um, it's easy to do physically. It's harder to do mentally and spiritually, um, especially for folks that care about the work, um, care about the business they're running, care about the constituents they serve, in my case, my students and my peers and colleagues, and the research that we do also. Um, So it's like kind of torn between yourself in all the right ways. It's a wonderful um, problem to have and kind of like a I'd probably say the most fulfilling blessing to have is to be torn by things you love 
no matter what. It's a it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited to say I have that problem. I know lots of people, even friends, that don't like the work they do, and it's it's really easy to leave it. And um, that sometimes I'm jealous of that, but most of the time I'm not. I think it's admirable that you are honest and you said you're still figuring it out because I'm pretty sure that most people in in p- positions like like yours it's a it's a difficult puzzle and the game pieces are always moving it's yeah. not always the same and so it's just doing your best to manage that and making sure like for me having a daughter that has become a really big pillar where it's like that is home that is that is priority, and yep. so never ever forget that. Yeah, it's it's actually probably saved me because um, I could have worked happily and forgot a lot of things, you know, over the next forty years. But the boys kind of pulled me out of it. And you even saying that, it, I mean, I know you personally, and before you had kids, and mm-hmm. you were always focused on family. Yeah, that is one thing that I that stuck with me friends and family were like your pillars even mm-hmm. before that so i thought you did a good job before that but i knew how committed you were to the work and to teaching so yeah. i saw that as well i would say it's kind of like that's so good to hear from your perspective but like and maybe we are hard on ourselves it's always in your head like am i spending too much time on the on the work the passion projects you know, who are the families you you want to check in on. And I think maybe always worrying about it means you probably are doing the right thing. Um, it's when we forget or, or always let people fall through the cracks that life's out of balance. And that's always been my thing. I don't want to let, let anything or anyone important fall through the cracks. I think, I think everyone struggles with that. And it's funny, uh, that, the more connected we are, it's 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 just as hard to let people things fall through the cracks. You know, you get caught up in your career and your family and your life, and you're like, I haven't checked in. Like, I know I owe our our good friend Chris March, who's out in Australia, a message. And I just Same. realized, oh my gosh, I didn't respond to him. Oh, but he he uses Facebook Messenger, and I prefer email. And but it's all good. <laughs> It'd be a good excuse to check in with him. But I mean, I I think you absolutely nailed it. Is that if you are thinking about that, if that's kind of on your mind, then you're probably doing better than you think you know because you care it's it's a sign that you care yeah we also need to be i've been saying this to my wife a lot in our conversations about presence we need to be kinder to ourselves we're only so capable especially as we get older and more uh, more responsibilities of and priorities shift you know we have to be kinder to ourselves and kind of take care of our everything mental health maybe more for like what i would call spirit and passion you have to protect it and and that means priorities and and conversations and you know relationships also get restructured yeah well said it's nice that you and leanne have a a a good rapport to communicate those things with each other we try and and she's a teacher as well and so you 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 guys are perfect for each other (laughs) (laughs) make sure she knows that that's why i wanted to get it on the record yeah we we definitely keep each other in check and i think you know it's too easy to get on the 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 comfort contentment trade or like just getting the job done at home and work and there's so much more 
Um, you know, kind of, we're young and parents, we're not young in our relationship, but it changed our relationship 1000% when we had boys and we definitely sacrificed each other to, to be there for the boys early on. And we're just starting to figure out like how to protect the relationship and take time for ourselves. And, um, I think that's probably something every relationship goes through. I was just about to say, I mean, now I can speak to that, that all your focus goes on that. And also you're tired and then you're trying to work and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, where is the time to have these special moments? Whereas before, like thinking about before kids, I'm like, oh my gosh, we could just like go and do whatever. Yeah. Wow. Or nothing. <laughs> or nothing. Yeah. 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 Love you guys. Hope you hear this in 20 years. Name and creator oh, yeah. show. Oh man, I I hope this is I'm, what what I was just thinking when you were talking that like it's actually cool because this these moments are captured and like how you are right now and like our kids could come back and watch this and they could experience like who you are in a different mm-hmm. way and you could revisit yourself. Um, I just uh, just a, a side thought. Yeah. Um, but before I forget, um, going back to kind of like previous days. There's this super, speaking of like co-curricular activities, there's Mm -hmm. something that was ultra special about uh, our university, IUPUI, which Mm -hmm. I should say IUPUI stands for Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. It's a wonderful, wonderful name. But now it's IUI and Purdue has their own thing. So I don't don't know if you've heard the news and it probably doesn't matter to your audience. Um, Starting in 2024 fall, the the universities have you know separated from a legal standpoint um they're no longer on the same campus although they're in the same city um so students can't kind of like mix classes anymore for better or worse but it's it's kind of clearing up um some competitive aspects that weren't nice um right and and to the benefit of all um in particular the city you know there's going to be two our research one level entities, both Purdue and IU within a great city that's seen a lot of investment um, come into it from around the country and around the world. So yeah, it's no longer IUPUI. It's now Indiana University, Indianapolis. And, and I think they're settling with Purdue University, Indianapolis. Um, okay. And yeah, so kind of, I think even some of the buildings will still be in the same place, but we're no longer competing for classes or research dollars. It's all, it's all open competition, which is good for everybody. We might be asked to edit all of that out. <laughs> I, I, we didn't say anything bad about it. I think it's, I think it's, you know, that the, the the honest history of like because for me, it's really interesting that they made it work this yep. long. That is absolutely impressive, and I think it's a testament to both schools that they were able to hold hands through throughout a journey. And I think as you move forward, especially nowadays, maybe it, it became harder. Is the the making sure that all of those I's are dotted and T's are crossed for just the technicalities of running a school rather than just doing your thing. But then they had this added pressure of making sure that they were working together too. I think that was a testament of like how that could happen. I don't, I don't know how many places in the world that that has happened, but that's, that's really cool. And I don't even know how many years that was going on, but it was, 
many tens of years. Yeah, 40, I think it was four decades. And I would say it definitely worked because, you know, we were successful and, and many other thousands, um, probably over 100,000 students were successful um, during that time of that enterprise and that collaboration. And it, it was a plus for the city. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, the competition increases the experience of students and faculty and, totally. and, and hopefully keeps a lot of the talent um, in our state and in our city. Because I think for a long time it was like, how are we going to get out of here? But now Indianapolis is kind of a destination. It's, it's more affordable for many companies to set up shop here. It's a talent hub and we have a lot of technical expertise. So I'm pretty excited to see how we contribute to Indianapolis's ecosystem for business. Absolutely. I I think also there's still going to be that cross collaboration. Like if there's a SIGGRAPH totally. chapter in both, in both schools, they're going to have events and you yep. guys are going to talk. So yep. there, there's still going to be that collaboration. So I think there's always that healthy aspect of it. Yeah, I really hope so. Really hope so. Hi, Dan Dan the Payroll Man here with Landmark Payroll. For the last 25 years, I've been paying employees of every industry on time every payday. My business owners are happy knowing their employees are happy. Did you know that this is the time of the year when businesses reevaluate their current payroll provider and determine if that provider is still meeting all of their needs? This is also a great time to meet with Landmark Payroll to see how we can provide better service, better pricing, and a better overall payroll experience. Call me directly at 727-455-8547. And now back to the episode with my friend, Josh Naiman and Zeb Wood. That's exciting. We got yeah. news on the show. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, um, I don't know how I ever told you about it. They announced it a year ago, almost a year ago, and it took a year to figure out how to do it. And we have one more year to prepare for it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, at least you got some time. But yeah. that's exciting. I might have heard a whisper, but uh, yeah. I've, I've been a little busy. Sure. Um, but that's that's interesting. I To go back to what led to that is that the um, computer graphics department of the Purdue side, led by Mark Bannatyne, he, there was this Poland study abroad. Yes. And and we you, you could go to Poland and teach for an entire month in two different cities. And uh, I had the honor to go one time and uh, and you've been several times. Twice. Yeah. Twice. And I, I think it or maybe thrice. is a good... Three times. Oh my goodness. Really? <laughs> but I think it's probably best that we didn't go at the same time um, for for our long-term health. But yeah. I... For me, that was pivotal because I realized, oh, I can teach and this is really fun. And also mm-hmm. it just in it instilled how important traveling was that there's this entire world outside of the walls of Indiana and in and, and the U.S. But, you know, for you, what would you say are kind of the biggest impacts that that did to you? Yeah, I would say without study abroad. I, I, th- I think the order of operations in my growth to be an educator was first studying abroad in Poland and then second leading SIGGRAPH, a student community on the college campus. So and I and I relate those very much together because I learned in my first study abroad 
to Poland, that everybody had the same concerns, whether you're in Indiana or Poland, politically, socioeconomically, relationship-wise, um, how to say hello, you know, what curse words were, you know, how to talk to women, all you know, like all the stuff, exactly the same. And for a little, for a kid from a rural area that's not so rural anymore, we love you, Westfield. Um, it meant the most because I went from like a a fly on the wall, wallflower, to saying, "Wow, my ideas, my concerns, my worries, my uh, the things I love are are the same everywhere. The same, the same uh, to any human being, uh, even across the world." And coming back from that first trip, it just said, why are you being, to me, it said, why are you being shy? There's so much to learn from other people around you. And for for me, that was um, the rest of the year at IEPY. And then I got to go two more times and um, lead outside of classes with SIGGRAPH and, and student government was the other big influence in my life. Um, yeah, so... And I think most colleges have these programs where they're incredibly funded or, or you can offset funds. Um, second to SIGGRAPH, I would say study abroad and, and having those realizations about other cultures and people around the world was the catalyst to my entire career. Yeah, that. I, I agree. Um, there, I, I think back to that time consistently and when I do it's just it like transports me to this this growing mindset that happened within a month's time where my eyes became bigger and you know same with the SIGGRAPH journey and I forgot I was in student government too it's funny our parallels on these Mm -hmm. things and it makes sense because you encouraged me throughout the my process to do this I owe you a lot um but (laughs) I I, I can't probably give it enough credit. Um, and my, like for me, my parents were very encouraging of me traveling. My dad was like, if I can't travel, you should, you know, so I'm going to live vicariously through you. <laughs> I think my parents were super scared at the time, but now they do all this sorts, all this travel. So maybe I inspired them to get, get out of the U S a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I love your parents. Um, Me too, <laughs> man. I love your whole family. You, it can you can you can see now that I know all of you so well, and even your friend circle who are now my friends. You can see this genuine care for each other and this genuine passion for like that that you respect and you love the community that you're in, and that ripples across everything. Because I'll tell you, when you and I were breaking into the SIGGRAPH community and we would go to these conferences. There was something to our vibe that people were attracted to because they yeah. go, wow, there's authenticity there. Mm-hmm. They, they care. There, There's love there. And it, mm-hmm. and it, and it kind of just shines through. You can't hide it. Yeah, actually, I think I had maybe a, a drink or two too many and talked with, I believe it was Nico Gonzalez about it. Because like, we were at some you know, apartment party or house party after a conference evening. And it was always, it's always the same people showing up year after year. And that's something that he mentioned. And, um, I kind of went on my soapbox moment and was like, it's because it's a family. Um, and we've created something within the larger conference to be proud of, to, you know, 
to connect each other to opportunities. And, you know, that's what the world's been doing for many, many years, <laughs> hundreds of years. The people that have the most success have the greatest networks. And in our case, the, the network had an added element of friendship and, and um, almost to a family point. Yeah. Even though they weren't blood related, we all had the same interests and maybe came from similar means and backgrounds um, and wanted to see each other succeed. Yeah, it's very clear. I mean, it's so cool, you know, like Jeremy, we, you know, unfortunately you weren't able to go, but we, we all get together at certain times and it's, it is, it feels like a reunion, you know, his wedding. We, we all had a house. We are all sleeping at the same house. And it was like, this is awesome. And you get to catch up with each other. And it's like, you were transported to the past, but with all these new stories and some of the, the people who we're surrounded with are doing incredible things, which is super cool. Yeah. Almost impossible. You know who you are. Uh, yeah. Super proud. Well, speaking of the impossible, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on uh, before we go into our rapid fire session. Oh, boy. I wanted to ask you, what is the most exciting emerging technology that you've seen from the, you know, the academic side of things? And you're, you're, you're staying on the pulse very much so. And I just want to hear, like, what's the most exciting thing that, that you've been involved in or that's, that's up and coming? Well, outside of the things that I'm involved in, I really think there's an opportunity to positively use machine learning and artificial intelligence to identify, like, really early on different diseases. And we have faculty within my school that are like mining vast, um, vast collections of DNA from certain sectors of the world to, to notice precursors and, and signs of cancers, of diseases years before they happen. I just find that in, incredibly inspiring. And, you know, I've lost people to cancer, uh, um, both my, both my grandparents to cancer. And that's super encouraging that you know, within my lifetime, that might be figured out for many different diseases and cancers. Um, in our realm, I think the multiverse or like virtual reality in many different um, different levels or environments or or places to to connect is pretty awe-inspiring and also pretty scary. So I. I, I deal with VR and augmented reality prototypes and conversations almost on the daily. We do a lot of training simulations in VR. Um, one that we've announced most recently, we're teaching dentists how to use an X-ray machine in VR versus reality, which you know has a cool effect of not giving each other radiation to learn how to do X-rays. But you know that's like small potatoes compared to my colleagues that are mining DNA for to learn precursors of cancer. But I think like the multiverse outside of training, um, you know, kind of like ready player one level where there's places you, you can just not take the headset off and meet people and connect and maybe even work is both exciting and terrifying. I have true concerns about real our realities relationships and how my kids will value those versus the ones that they value on what is currently social media and what might be something that's more like an embodied social media in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, 
I don't think I'm going to opt in. I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to a lake in the mountains or a forest or something like that. But I definitely would keep my eye on that. And I think it's a choice all of us will have to make on how much time we spend in somewhere that's more flashy, maybe less physical contact. Um, and I, I think I'll just end it with something something I think about a lot but don't ever talk about is what how important physicality is to everyday life and proximity. I think it's incredibly important. I don't know if two generations from now it will be, and that's pretty weird to think about. Boy, I couldn't agree more. Um, number one, I'll probably have the house next door to you in the woods. Uh, <laughs> my buddy lives out in Colorado. He's like my best friend since childhood. Uh, shout out Danny Sheeks. Hey, Danny. He's, he's bow hunting. <laughs> wow. he, he has a house and he hikes the mountain like, <laughs> every morning with his dogs. He has his kids on his back. And I'm yeah. just like, there is something incredible to that that connection. And I... It's it's like any technology. It's it's really what we do with it and how we use it, you know, because people are absolutely terrified of AI and justifiably. But also what you just said, where it could identify diseases early on and save lives or mm -hmm. extend lives. That's brilliant. It's the same. We were just watching Indiana Jones because we're going to go see the new one this um, tonight. Cool. And uh and it reminded me of the the quote by Oppenheimer, like, I am the destroyer of worlds, you know, where he he was very big part of developing the nuclear bomb. Yeah. However, that technology can also be extremely valuable. And there's like always two sides to the coin when you have these enormously powerful technologies, where mm -hmm. it's like, how deep do you want to go into the negative or rather destroying people? Or do you want to literally do the opposite and power the world in, in yeah. a sustainable way yeah. for us to to enjoy each other and sure. it's the same with these virtual realities i think i think the oprah did like a pledge a long time ago where it was like you signed and it was like i'm not going to text and drive sure. and i was like that's really interesting like just by signing it i did it less and sure. uh and it helped me. And I don't know if there's maybe going to be things where it's like, I, I don't know wh where, how we can limit that. And I'm not saying people can do whatever they want. You could live in virtual reality. Yeah. But I think you're 100% right that once you start to lose that, that abs, that, the touch, the physicality, <laughs> that, that humanity literally changes in that moment, your relationships change through that process. And yeah. I, don't necessarily think it's for the better. Now, what's beautiful about that is you could connect with people from across the world that you never knew and develop new relationships without that proximity. And so, yeah. again, there's two sides to that coin. Yeah, I think I'm really curious and maybe even excited to see how the definition of proximity is um, kind of maybe moving away from the definition of empathy. Because um, I really think, right, right now and the only relationships i really want are the ones where physical proximity and empathy are tied to each other but um and maybe my biggest hope is if we do move to a future where many people opt out of moving physical location for a mostly digital um 
digital lifestyle, for lack of a better word, that they I hope that they're able to find meaningful, empathetic, and um, mutually understanding social moments with other people, whether you know they're on the other side of the planet or right next door. I think that's my biggest concern for my kids, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same, same with me. Um, we're we're doing our best to keep uh, our daughter Nova, you know, from being glued to the screens. And so yeah, we just same. kind of we're not exposing her to screens, and so she doesn't know what she's missing. Obviously, we, you know, she's going to to learn about them and then be engaged in them. And at that point, then we'll just have to limit it. But it is weird. I have my phone on the couch or something like that it's not even on and it there is a magnetism she mm-hmm. gravitates towards mm-hmm. it she could have toys surrounding it for some reason that black mirror is yep. is she's magnetized to it it's wild evil maybe <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean her parent or our kids parents uh, talking about me and my wife we struggle with putting it down um you know and just putting her putting it away knowing Establishing barriers, I think, is something people that are younger than me are probably even more have more difficulty doing. Like I grew up with typewriters. I had a typewriter till I was thirteen, but still, the cell phone in particular is super, super uh, too much of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do my best as well. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to transition to okay. the rapid fire. section and i do want to circle back on truth telling because i think that or maybe it's another episode sometime well i'm Uh, definitely going to have to have you back on there's no doubt about that i mean what do you want to say about the uh well i think um you know you experienced it as a student first and um i don't get to tell people enough that my perspective on maybe why um, I have a certain reputation and people I really respect have similar reputations for being like cutting, cutting a little too deep, whether it's feedback on a piece of art or um, how you execute an idea or, or even um, like your work or lifestyle. Um, and I've only, I've only articulated a handful of times when people have asked me like, why do you do that? Then um, I think the relationships and mentors that I've had in my life, um, starting with my, my parents and, and people that I still gravitate towards, um, get to the point and, and, and try to find, figure out your, when, when I feel attacked, they're trying to figure out my deepest motivations and, and when there's a conflict between my motivation and my activity or actions, um, that's usually when the critiques cut the deepest. So, and and to maybe put it a different way that most people would understand from a faculty member to a student is if I'm not saying something that stings a little bit, I'm probably already opted out and I'm distracted by something else and you're not getting the best performance or feedback from me. So whenever I have students and it's becoming rarer and rarer, come to me one-on-one and say, you know, what you said um, was super valuable, but it really hurt. 
and I usually start with, that's because I care and I didn't want to waste your time. Um, and what I see more and more through educators and just like relationships is kind of this like um, facade of niceties in such a way that we're all spinning each other's egos and that's just not what humans are for when it comes to being there for each other as we're here for mutual growth uh, mutual understanding and um whether i like it or not somebody that can cut to like the real truth or the real issue at hand when they're when they're critiquing me or or, or talking to me that means we're light years ahead had if had you said had they just said great job see you later you know what i mean oh man absolutely you you i mean that's unbelievably valuable and i think it's it's great that you you your response to students like that is it's first because i care because that is absolutely so true especially in our industry where it's very visual where you see a design or a thing that's not functioning it, it if it's bad or if it doesn't function that's not acceptable it's not going to succeed it's not going to do well and that person's going to be bummed eventually but if yep. you can cut it off quickly and say look you're trying hard but this particular piece of it isn't working and you say but this is like you've done great mm -hmm. with this triangle over here and that's a great shape and good sizing but you're missing the mark with the typography or whatever it is yeah. that is absolutely enormous and that's what keep things progressing and it's it's funny because like in an academic setting you would think that most people are there to like I'm going to grow. I know I'm going to get grilled. This is not going to be easy. The The fact is it's going to be hard and so much is going to change. So might as well embrace it. But then outside of university, that should be our mindset forever. Um, it's, yeah. it's wild that people just get stuck and that they're, uh, they're afraid of constructive criticism or I believe this one thing and that's what I believe and you can't change my mind. In that case, I'm like, okay, then we probably don't have much to talk about. Uh, you know, like, why are we talking? Yeah, and conversely, like, you know, I can't control my how my students react to feedback or, or even receive feedback, but I can control how active I am and not candy-coating things. And I would challenge anybody in a relationship that is from a point of mentorship, which I would consider faculty, professors, teachers, K through 12, if you're saying good job, you're probably lying. And you're probably being lazy. And that's really hard to come to terms with. It's something I do every day. Um, and it's especially hard when we're in an ecosystem where classes have to grow to be financially um, critical to the unit, to the school unit, to the campus unit. Um, you know, how much time can I truly be truthful when I have a class of X versus something with another zero next to it. Um, and then you can come back to the AI conversation. There's, there's people all over the planet that think AI can give that truth and feedback. And that's not what I want. Yeah. That, that's a different realm that you're yeah. in now. I mean, I think for like programming, you can pop in your code and say, 
is this correct? What's wrong yeah. with the code? There's there's something to that. For visual stuff, that's going to be harder. How can it know that that logo is going to work long term for that brand's you know, yeah. you know, life cycle? There's there's so many dynamic pieces to that, but. It's. I, I realized that I was like leading to that question way early yes. on, and then we got diverted. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that back oh, up. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I have much more on that, but it's, you know, that's why I do what I do. Yeah, I think yeah. I think absolutely we'll have to have a round two. Um, but you know, before before we wrap up i do want to do a rapid fire because it's what always so fun i know right so scary <laughs> pew, pew. uh so <laughs> it's it's just the same kind of common questions that i ask every guest um okay. and and just to hear the similarities and also just some tangible things for people listening um it's it's maybe cliche but i have fun with it and everybody cool. who's done it so far has fun so i'm semi-nervous but i'm gonna do my best I think that you'll do great, um, and uh, I think you'll really like this first question, so especially. So just one-word answers or one-sentence answers? How's it work? We had uh, Doug Jackson on, on uh, two episodes ago, and he's a lawyer, and so he he's going to have the record for the longest rapid fire. It definitely doesn't have to be one word. You can Try expand me. upon it. <laughs> <laughs> so y- your call on it. It's your rapid okay. fire. But, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, number one, what Ready. is your biggest source of inspiration? Caymans, uh, probably research. I really geek out on um, what we're finding out about the universe, uh, the new telescopes, this gravitational telescope. Um, you know, my my understanding from a scientific perspective is minimal, but maybe wherever I can find advancements in humanity and the potential for our growth and understanding of this reality is always something I'm looking for every morning. Yeah. So I'm going to take a transcription of that so that whenever anybody asks me that question, I swear I could just copy and paste that answer. Excellent. Yeah. That is spot on for me. I mean, obviously we get along for reasons, but that's, that's awesome. To maybe um, spin it in a different way. I've always liked finding parallels between how people get things done. You know, um, a good mutual friend of ours, Frank Ty, always relates how movies are made to cooking and the ingredients and and the aromas and, you know, the, the feelings and vibes that a cook would have and how you try to match storytelling, whether it's, uh, Ratatouille or, or uh, Elemental, the new the new Pixar film. Like um, you, the the experts in our world try to always find parallels to other experts on how they do their thing, and I always get really inspired by that. Oh yeah, Ed Catmull uh, from Pixar. He th- there was one quote that always stuck with me. I saw like an early keynote and a quote from him. at SIGGRAPH and it was art inspires technology and technology inspires art there are communities what whatever industry you're in there is cross like collaboration there's they're feeding each other in some way like for instance Doug in being in law laws affect creativity too or what we do with AI I mean there's so many 
crossing of of professions and stuff like that i love i love frank's way of saying that that it's like cooking because that goes that goes really deep also one thing about cooking is timing and Mm. making sure everything comes out right and baking it for however long is appropriate for that particular ingredient and the preparation of that do you need to let it thaw like for ideas Mm. do you need to let it thaw before you actually put it on the burner (laughs) well said yeah i think timing is one of my biggest weaknesses <laughs> that's the toughest. That's very tough coming from a musician myself. That timing's mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm uh I really hope Frank will be a guest on this show. I, I I'm feel sure like he, he would. would but yeah. I'd love to have him on. He's such a good dude. Um and he's super successful over at Pixar. So it's so yeah. inspiring. We were talking about being surrounded by people who who do awesome things that we're connected to and it's like what what a model. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, rapid fire usually is not so rapid. Just oh, to let you okay, know. <laughs> okay. But it's like, it's good. Am I going too long? <laughs> yeah, and uh, now we can't air this episode. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Okay. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, Servant Leadership by Robert Greenleaf. He's also a Hoosier. Um, outside of Study Abroad and SIGGRAPHs, probably the most impactful. Whoa, would you look at that? <laughs> so um, this one that I'm yeah, holding in my hand, exactly that one. Uh, it's kind of the idea, for those of you that you don't know, it's kind of the idea that through serve, serving others and society, you can find a form of true leadership and um, maybe legacy. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, whether it's my ego or not, that's my motivation is to lead by example through the service of others and the communities that I, that we try to serve through my classes. And... Hopefully, hopefully it's one way to live. Oh, that's a great way. And I would say um, personally, but also you could pull uh, our group and people who have interacted with you. They they would agree with that sentiment of what you're trying to do. I think that would be top of the list on descriptors of Zeb Wood. Just to let you know. Oh, yeah. Good. I can stop now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just (laughs) serve yourself. (laughs) No, no, we still need yeah. you. Um, hope, have you read that yet? Have you? Are you through it? No, I'm working through it. Yeah, I'm. I'm right here. So I'm, I probably got a it is great. Yeah, probably the most impactful areas of that that whole text and all his follow up texts is how the church serves in the future. And this uh, that book was written um, in the 80s or maybe late 70s. So and it's still, in my opinion, relevant to what uh what the the church or churches could be for all other sectors of life yeah Mm -hmm. really powerful yeah absolutely that's huge um what about favorite musical artist and album chris cornell's up there rest in peace artist wise um dude had some pipes and some lyrics I really like Radiohead, as you know. Um, Massive Attack and Radiohead and Chris Cornell are probably on repeat on my late night creative sessions since college, the college years. My it drives my wife crazy just listening to the same stuff. But yeah, I would say Radiohead, Massive Attack, and Chris Cornell and all of his many, many endeavors. Sweet. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Radiohead. Um, nope. There's something 
to them. They, they cap, I mean, man, if I could interview them and, and get into their head, I'm sure they've done plenty of interviews though. So it's like not necessary, but my goodness on capturing vibes and uh, put, transporting you to a very particular feeling. Massive Attack does a great job of that too, where yeah. when you listen to it, you're, you are in a different place and that's mm-hmm. the beauty of music and really good stuff where it's like, I feel I'm, I'm literally in a different realm right now because of True. what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I have zero um, expertise or talent in music, but I would, ha- I would tend to agree that both massive attack and Radiohead for me are like this juxta- juxtaposition of like light and melancholy in such a strange way. Like their music just, weaves those together in every song and in a way where the vibe is totally different from any anybody else and it just puts me at rest creatively and lets me work a long time you know oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. well uh cheers to that i i couldn't mm-hmm. agree more uh so that's the correct answer <laughs> <laughs> yes scoring a a plus on this hopefully uh-huh three out of three <laughs> okay uh here you'll like this one how okay. do you define success oh that's a scary one to answer. Maybe I haven't answered it for myself, Josh. I mean, I think it's maybe for, for me, it's, it's changing. And I agree. Like some of these questions are intended to like, I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I have to spend some more time on that. I have about another month before school starts, but. I would say if you're always challenged um, and maybe a little bit of afraid with the things you do in your relationships and your work, then you're probably successful. Um, money is like a byproduct of those challenges. So that's not really high. It's never really been high on my list, although I would like my kids to be protected financially. Um, yeah, I think as long as there's meaning. And within that meaning, there's a bit of a, a fear to what you're doing next um, in the form of challenges or unknowns, then you're always growing. And that growth is probably the reason why we're here. That's, that's yeah, I hope to always be a little worried about what I'm doing next and making mistakes and having conversations around those challenges and finding people to help solve them. That's, that's like the secret sauce for me. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I love that. Four for four. Four for four. We got two more. Yeah. That's a rhyme. Cool. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite technology tool? Her, my brain. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, so some wetware, not hardware. <laughs> intro- oh, I've never heard it called that. Um, my favorite technology tool um, and, you know, for your audience, just, I'm a person that teaches digital technology, media, how to make 3D things for games and films. I'm like in tech all day, most of the year when I'm teaching it. Um, but I would say I probably none of that is my favorite. My favorite is the tools that can connect me to like-minded individuals, to careers for my students to networks unknown. So I would say like LinkedIn probably is the most powerful technology tool of our time. 
Yeah. And then similar competitors are probably the most distracting tools of our time, like Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook are the very dangerous versions of what LinkedIn has seemed to figure out. Um, yeah, I would say that's my favorite tool from a pragmatic standpoint. I've not, I've never really thought about these things as tools. I really like playing video games. I do it a lot less. I would have said like the PlayStation 2 20 years ago, but, and that's kind of helped or make me arrive at the types of things I teach now, but definitely the tools to connect with a purpose is probably my favorite. Like you can reach out to any expert, just like I was talking about earlier, the power of a, a college campus is going to somebody, an expert and something that you're interested in. That's what the internet and LinkedIn is too. But yeah, in particular, young people, my constituents just don't tend to do that until they're desperate for opportunity when it's been there their entire lives. It's kind of a weird phenomenon. I like that though. The tool that is your favorite is a connection tool. And that doesn't surprise me one bit of like who you are, True. you know, you could, you could, you know, argue that that goes like, the, a plane or a car to get to one another to reach physical proximity when you can't otherwise daily do that you know is a is a very valuable tool in that regard too yeah yeah i guess i take vehicles i probably take too much for granted we probably all do yeah but vehicles in the form of proximity pretty important <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean i drive 80 miles a day just to go to work to have the types of conversations we're having right now. So I would say that's probably close second now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I brought it up then. Okay, last one. Uh, okay. You're doing so good. Excellent. Um, a plus. Uh, <laughs> what do you love doing most outside of work, outside of teaching? Trying not to get too teary-eyed. I guess trying to make sure my boys have the, the same memories or experiences that I've had or like whatever a better version of that is like I feel incredibly privileged and blessed to have the parents that I have and the and the extended family and friends that I have and I definitely see that as a priority for my kiddos um, and we're they're super lucky and we're super lucky to have like every summer for as away from work as we want it. Like I'm still working on things, but we're like, we're together 24 seven every day from June to August with a little extra on both ends with me. So it's also, it's, you know, my favorite thing and it's my biggest fear that they're not getting the, they are, they are not getting the same memories and they're only four and, and one and a half, you know, there's some there's some science that says kids don't even remember at year four what they what they uh, experienced, but I maybe I'm just trying to get a head start. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Cool memories. That's huge. Yeah, um, and like connection to yeah. to um, your your children. There's nothing bigger. There is some yeah. science uh, that uh, my wife has told me about where up until seven, that's when so much is soaked in yeah. that sets the tone for the rest of their life too. So it's funny that they don't, you, you can't really recall those times, but how 
integral they are to the future. It's interesting dichotomy there. Yeah, I find myself asking, and my my parents never did this. My dad uh, was more of kind of like the less you say, the better. The more you feel, the better. Um, but I always ask my oldest, my four year old, like, do you feel safe? Do you feel loved? What's your favorite things? And I think he likes articulating that. And but I think it's probably more greedy on my part that I'm checking some boxes. I I I definitely want them to have the same experiences, but I also want them to be their own men. Yeah. So I don't know where every I'm sure every dad on history's wanted that. And when it starts to happen, I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah. They're they're lucky children. Um there's no doubt about that. Your students are all lucky. I'm lucky. So uh they're they're ultra lucky. Maybe our kids will date and we can like really bring the families together someday. <laughs> <laughs> An ep of epic proportions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, my daughter's just about to turn one. So wow. Yep. Well either way, they'll be friends, that's for sure. Yeah. I can't <laughs> so. wait. <laughs> oh, me too. Okay, I got a couple more things for you. And then yes. uh, it's it's not always hard. It's not always easy to wrap up conversations with you. Like we could literally talk all day <laughs> and we have. So, um, but I wanted to ask. So we're out of rapid fire, by the way. Okay. You okay. won. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure all of your interviewees win. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. Okay. So what are you in the future? What's... What's your career trajectory? What what does it look like in five to ten years? Well, I'm going through my promotion process as we speak, so I've had some time to reflect in this area. Um, I've I'm no longer director of our media program, um, and I have some like fear of missing out and influence, but I also have like maybe more control of my time than ever, and I'm starting to starting to feel what that might mean. Um, I won't really know what that means until the semester begins, not having um, all of my colleagues to, to protect and and uh, vision cast for. But what I've been telling my readers in my promotion documents, my goals are, are to continue the collaborative class, the client class, um, and scale it towards um, a fo more focused mission. I don't have the, all the answers on this yet. More focused mission on creating more companies and scaling other companies that need people like us. Um, so it's like part, I, I think I said, I want, I want to be somewhat responsible for the growth or start of 100 companies by the time I retire. Um, and they're not going to be all animation companies. Um, and I, it could be as small of an influence of like, maybe I'll even put your, your awesome company and companies on the list towards a 100, but having some inspiration or direct influence and connecting talent to those companies and growing them is a legacy I'd like to leave. And the other, the other main light item that actually is measurable is I'd like to figure out ways to connect people like us at IU and Purdue, IEPY, what it once used to be, to $10 million or more in scholarships for travel, uh, for conferences, for just going to co uh, college. So finding entities and, and corporations that are willing to sponsor 
uh, certain amounts every year for the next 30 years or so, um, totaling 10 mil or more. It's probably not big enough of a number, but I'll start there. That's reasonable. But yeah, with your <laughs> gumption, I think uh, 10 million, you'll, you'll hit that quicker than you think. Yeah. Uh, I think what I'm, I think probably the biggest area I haven't explored and maybe somebody finds this interview can help me out is like how connecting internships and co-ops um, while students are in school to working for companies you know, like, like yours or Fortune 500, Fortune 100 still counts as a scholarship. So just like making more bridges to industry for student experiences is a big one. And, or um, maybe getting students to go to co-working spaces and starting companies with those, those stakeholders and things like that. Yeah. I think I'm going to find a lot of meaning in those two goals in particular. There's a lot of meaning there. That's, that's super exciting. Um, and number one, uh, you can absolutely chalk name and creative up as one of those 100 businesses yes. there's no doubt that you have a connection to that so awesome yeah thank you uh, well thank you i think that number is also too low for most even most professors i think i'm at like 20 already so we'll <laughs> i would see. i would say you already probably have a really solid list which is cool uh yeah, Chris, super cool yeah definitely um and, and I was going to say, you know, because you had mentioned that, you know, people who might be able to help you in this journey. I mean, that that is one of the many goals of this podcast is connecting you with people you otherwise wouldn't be connected with potentially. And so awesome. your information will be in the podcast notes. People will be able to uh, connect with you yes. after listening to this. So as much as you want them to be able to connect with 100, you. So we'll 1,000 percent. Sure. Reach out, please. All right, cool. Uh, we'll we'll end it with this. Uh, I want you to leave the listener with a piece of advice, uh, something tangible that you just, that you feel very passionately about that you would have loved to hear um, that you think could be important for someone to hear right now. That's incredible power. You know, it's hard to articulate going back a little bit. The in inherent value to being able to say that your perspective and truth to another person um, and they and then that and then them also receiving it like in a pure way but you can't control that so I guess my advice is as much as possible try to find yourself in a place where you're not just um, coasting along in your relationships or your mentorship or your leadership with others because um, young people know, um, especially really young people know when you're just checking in. Um, peers know patterns and if you continue to coast, they're going to pull away and the people that matter most to you will never forget it if you do start coasting too much. So I would say just check yourself. Um, try to be honest at, from a point of love and caring and and growth and through many of our problems, both internally and like in society, will cure themselves. Yeah. I think I'll stop there. You weren't kidding. That is powerful. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fantastic. Um, 
and man i couldn't agree and resonate more with like all of what you said um i just want to thank you i it's hard to articulate um how important you've been in my life and how how much i cherish our friendship because that's the most important thing um we've been colleagues you've been my professor etc my mentor um but really like being your friend and and sharing the the world with you and growing with you has been an extreme pleasure and i'm continually inspired and uh and i hope to be able to thank you more as we move forward in our lives and so it means a lot that you're here uh doing this interview and uh just being yourself uh yeah you're a good man zeb thanks for saying thanks i think doing what you're doing now is plenty of things but if you can pay it forward that would be even better thanks will do okay all right cool well i'll be talking to you soon <laughs>